welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. We are continuing on our journey to Santiago, and today we are in Orense, which is one of the seven cities of Galicia, and we are taking a rest day in the rain. A well-deserved rest day, I would say. We've been going steadily for two weeks now, and I think it's time. I mean, we'd always planned it this way, um, and I like Orense a lot. I spent about a month here last year uh, immersing in Gallego, to some extent successfully and to some extent not. But anyway, I enjoy the city and was happy to be able to share it with you. Although, unfortunately, as you said, it is raining and also most of the sites are closed. So it hasn't been a great success in terms of, you know, sightseeing and things like that. But the resting has been good. The resting has definitely been good. And it's also our wedding anniversary. So it's a nice day to take a rest day. For sure. And so the past few days before today, we've been on the Camino San Abreth. And so that's what we want to talk about in this episode. And just to set this up, what we've been on is an alternative route of the San Abreth. So those who may be familiar with the San Abreth in general will know that it's a kind of offshoot from the Via de la Plata, which is a famous Camino route that starts in Sevilla in Andalusia and continues all the way north. And if you keep going on the Via de la Plata, you eventually hit Astorga, which is on the Camino Frances. Um, but I think that most people who do the Via de la Plata and want to continue to Santiago don't do it that way. They instead turn off onto the Camino San Abreth. That's actually the third and the sort of northernmost of these options of turning west or northwest of the Via de la Plata. One of them is the Camino Torres that we've talked about before, and we've walked some of that. And the other one is the Samorano Portugues, uh, which goes from Samora. And that's something that we're interested in, but, but we haven't done yet. It goes through some other parts of Trasus Montes, the area that we were just in in Portugal, but it's not uh, the same as the CPI. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third one is the Camino Sanabres, so-called because it goes through this uh, town called Puebla de Sanabria. And I think that's the most common way to reach Santiago for people who are on the Via de la Plata. And sometimes even on the Sanabres, you see signs that call it still the Via de la Plata. Uh, we've seen that a couple of times. Yep. And we have seen some pilgrims walking around town here in Odense. So uh, we're not staying in an albergue right now because, as you said, it is our wedding anniversary. So we decided to splurge a little bit bit and get a studio apartment, a lovely little apartment right here in the center of town. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see how many pilgrims there are from this point on. It won't be hard to for there to be more since we've had virtually none thus far uh so i think there definitely will be more but it'll just be uh interesting to see just how many more there are right so we came up from the cpi into a town called verin and when we were in verin that's when this alternate route of the of the sanabres uh, continues through there so we essentially had no choice but to join that route. Uh, The alternative route begins a couple of stages further back to the east, so we missed out on a couple of days of that alternate, Uh, but then for the next four days we were walking on this alternate. 
and so the main route of the San Andres is further north. And there was actually an option, and I'm not sure we really realized this right at the very outset, but there is an option from close to Verin to walk north to a town called Lata, mm-hmm. and that is where you can join the main route of the San Andres earlier if we wanted to do that. But instead we wanted to do this southern uh, alternate just because it seemed like a good idea. Uh, and then basically the two routes meet up just before Orense, which is where we are now. And so, yeah, as you mentioned, we haven't seen many pilgrims. We've only seen two uh, mm-hmm. on the actual alternate route. But then once we merged yesterday, we saw a couple more. And just here in Orense, we've seen a couple uh, walking around town. Um, and so we can tell from that that there are obviously more people doing the regular route than doing this uh, alternate route that we did. Okay, so the alternate route has been an interesting route for us to take. Firstly, I think just arriving in Galicia, uh, well, that's always a, an important and special moment, but you really realize you're in the heartland of the Camino de Santiago. And I think, you know, we talked about how we were impressed in Portugal with the way that they'd made some albergues on the CPI and things like that. And, you know, there were some pilgrim facilities here and there. Um, but then when you get to Galicia, you really feel that a lot more. It's on a whole nother level. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is because it's done at a regional level, Galicia as a whole, the Junta de Galicia, which is the regional government, is the one that sets up the official albergues. Um, of course, there are some private albergues too, but we haven't run into any of those yet on this route because, as we've said, it's not a popular route. And so perhaps for as private enterprises, it doesn't really make sense yet because there wouldn't be enough income coming in. Uh, so it's all the Junta that, that creates the albergues, whereas in Portugal, it's a bit different. It's on a much more localized level. It's the Junta da Freguesia, which is a, a much smaller district. So, you know, it's it's much more decentralized and some juntas de freguesias m- make a really big effort to create albergues and create other infrastructure and then others don't make as much of an effort. Uh, so when you get to Galicia, where everything is centralized, then you really notice a lot more infrastructure. Yeah, so even on this alternate route that's not very not very popular, evidently. There are albergues, the Shunta albergues, basically everywhere you need along the route. There's really only one place, which is Ayarith, which is where we were, or where we left yesterday morning, where there's no albergue. There is actually a youth hostel there, but currently it's being used to house Ukrainian refugees, which is a, a very kind uh, gesture um, for people who really, really need it, but for pilgrims who are, who are walking, they just need to be aware that that's not an option right at the present time. But in all the other places that you're likely to stay, there are these Shunta albergues, and they're all run in a very consistent way from one to the other. The price is the same, uh, the bedding is the same, Wi-Fi network is the same, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Check-in so you, times and closing times. Yes, exactly. So you can you can really tell that it's a coordinated effort, yeah, at the at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than the local level. And so that just makes everything really easy. And beyond the albergues, we also just noticed that there are a lot more benches to sit on mm-hmm. uh, and fountains for water. And so mm-hmm. virtually every village that you go into has both of those things. And a lot of them actually say Banco de Peregrinos. Like this is a bench for pilgrims and it's in the big shape of a yellow arrow. So yeah, there's no doubt about the fact that this has been set up specifically for pilgrims. So it's been really nice for us to be back in Galicia, although one of the things that we should mention is that the Galicia that we are in 
is quite different, or certain parts of it have been quite different from the Galicia that we think we know from previous Caminos. And it was very interesting in uh, Gronse, the website that we've referred to uh, a bit on this Camino, that they described this part of Galicia from Verín as being like the Extremadura or like Andalusia uh, in terms of the weather, yeah, in terms it was, of the heat. Right. It was a warning, uh, you know, just be aware, like, just how high the temperatures get. And, you know, it's more like what you would expect to find in, you know, those southern areas of Spain where the weather can be really extreme. And, yeah, they were just kind of warning people that actually you can get really high temperatures in this part of Galicia as well, which is not what you would normally associate with Galicia. And that happened to be true. Our mm -hmm. first couple of days on this variant, uh, it was very hot. It was up to the, the low 30s Celsius. And that, yeah, for Galicia, that's something that we're not quite used to. And these uh, two Spanish pilgrims who we met, who were the only other pilgrims that we've seen, they were kind of lamenting because they were just doing a short five-day pilgrimage and they had to go back to work and they were saying oh, of all the five days we picked we picked these days that we with all this heat mm. um but maybe it was just that that's somewhat standard uh even even late may uh, into early june for this area yeah but like i said i did spend about a month here in orense uh, in August, last August, and it was very hot here. And that's when I learned that Odense is known in particular for being the hottest part of Galicia and not just the city of Odense, but the wider district. So yeah, the smaller division within the region of Galicia, I think would be the province of Odense is known for being the hottest part. And yeah, I think we can attest to the fact that that is true. Yeah, definitely. And it was just interesting because you kind of have these ideas of these regions as being kind of homogenous and you would think Galicia doesn't have anything to do with a place like Andalusia at all. And that those are essentially as far apart as you can get in mainland Spain while still being in Spain. Um, but obviously, you know, certain parts of Galicia that are closer to that region and closer to well, the, the immediate region is Castilla and Leon, and then the Extremadura and then Andalusia. You know, we're in the sort of south east part of Galicia. And so it's yeah a bit closer to these other regions of Spain, both physically and in terms of climate, than if you go to the far uh, northwest of Galicia, where you've got the more uh, Celtic environment and mm. uh, Celtic weather, let's say. Mm, yes, Celtic weather. And we even noticed it in terms of the crops that were growing too, because we saw cherries for a long way um, right through into Galicia, whereas on our previous Camino on the Nascent in Portugal, we had arrived just at the peak cherry season in the Beta region of Portugal, which is famous for its cherries. And so we had, as we've discussed previously uh, on the podcast, we had this fabulous experience of, you know, walking through places with wild cherry trees and being able to just pick cherries off the trees. This time we were a little bit too early. So in most cases, the cherries were not yet ripe, which was a bit of a bummer. Um, but one big difference we noticed was that, yeah, that we continued to see the cherry trees all the way up through Portugal and then in continuing into Galicia as well. Yeah, we saw cherry trees yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, uh, I guess, because we're further east uh, than we were last year by the time we crossed into Galicia. <music> 
So with the caveat that we don't know what the regular route of the Sanabres is like, um, the, the other option you can take instead of this variant, and the other caveat that we missed the first couple of stages of this variant, we'll just talk a little bit about some of the things that we saw and experienced uh, in these past four days. And I would say that there were, in terms of highlights or sites, three specific things um, that I was really impressed with uh, that I think are worth talking about. The first of these is a castle. It's called the Castle of Monterrey, and it's above the town of Verim. And so Verim was our introduction to Galicia on this trip. And the, the town of Verim, we didn't find it that interesting or that attractive. We walked around a little bit and there's, okay, there's a church here and there, but it wasn't really anything particularly special that we saw. Mm -hmm. um, but then the next day you can go on, you, you can you leave Verin and you're on the Camino and basically this castle is on this hill kind of above Verin. And so because it's right on the Camino, essentially, we didn't try to visit it the afternoon before. You don't need to visit it the afternoon before because you can see it the next morning was a little bit unfortunate that they were doing some works there um, and so it was a little bit of a, a mess. Um, there was a, a kind of detour that you had to go uh, to to get up to the castle. But what that also meant was that the Parador, which is the hotel, the kind of luxury slash cultural historic hotel chains that we have in Spain, the Parador inside the castle is closed currently. And so one of the advantages of that was that we were up there and there was nobody else there. Mm -hmm. We were all there by ourselves, and I don't know if in normal circumstances, yeah, you might have the, the guests of the Parador might be milling around, which is, of course is no problem, but when you're at a site all by yourself, it's, um, it just makes it a little bit more special. And so this castle is, I believe, the largest castle in Galicia? Yes. Um, and so it's quite impressive. There are two large towers that remain, and there's also a Romanesque church that's there, and so this complex of, of buildings all date from between the 13th and the 15th century, and... There were previously uh, buildings before that, but that's the, the sort of what you see now. And it was really nice to be up there. Yeah, it was beautiful. We spent a lot of time up there just wandering around. Well, first trying to figure out how to get into the castle because <laughs> it was a bit of a construction site around there. And uh, in, there were actually a few construction workers even that early in the morning. But I, I only saw them as we were coming in. And then after that, the site itself we had to ourselves. It's a really beautiful area, you know, surrounded by beautiful scenery um, and with views all over, you know, because you're up high up on a hill, so you have beautiful views in every direction. And uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the most impressive sights that we've seen on this Camino and, you know, on many other Caminos as well. Yeah, one of the other things that I really liked about it was that and this also speaks to the difference of this part of Galicia with other parts, was that usually when you think of architecture in Galicia, you're thinking of greystone. Mm. And if it's a, a residential building or let's say a palace or something like that, you're going to have white uh, window frames or white doors or, or something like that. And that's a very charming part of, of Galicia if you think of a city like, obviously, Santiago de Compostela or Lugo or something like that. There's a very uniform architectural style based around this gray stone, uh, which is which is nice, but it, at this castle, um, it was more sandstone instead of gray stone. And especially because there was a Romanesque church, you know, I think when I think of Romanesque, I think of sandstone, uh, but when you get deeper into Galicia, even when you have Romanesque churches, you have the gray stone. And for me, that's not quite as appealing um, because I think the, the colors of the sandstone uh, against the blue sky and 
work really well and just the the way that the carvings are done in Romanesque portals and things like that it just looks really beautiful in sandstone uh, and so I thought that was just also a really nice feature and something that was perhaps slightly unusual in Galicia too. All right and the other historic building or I guess a, a series of buildings actually we saw yesterday which was out of the town of Alarith and firstly there was a Romanesque church that we visited and this was a Romanesque church that was made from greystone, so for me it wasn't quite as impressive uh, as the Romanesque church that was part of this castle complex. But the church was closed and we had just missed it because the previous day was Ascension Sunday and it was open, and so we did unfortunately miss being able to go inside the church, although, although that turned out okay because the previous day on Ascension Sunday we were in a small village as we were passing through on our way to Ayarith and we came across this little village festival which was in a village that was almost completely abandoned. I mean, there, we asked uh, around to find out a little bit more about what was going on, because we could kind of tell as we approached the village that there was something going on. Uh, we saw quite a few cars parked kind of on the edge of the village and just lots of people milling about and children playing. And some of them, just by the way that they were dressed, I could kind of tell that they didn't seem like villagers. They seemed more like townsfolk who were up there for the day. And it was a Sunday and it was a beautiful day. So I thought, okay, it's not that unusual that people would be, you know, out and about going out into the countryside to enjoy their Sunday. But then the longer we stayed there because we stopped for lunch there, more and more people started to arrive and we realized, yeah, there's definitely something happening here. The, there's a little chapel in this village, which is normally closed, and the one day of the year that they do actually hold Mass in the chapel is on Ascension Sunday, which was the day that we happened to be there. So all of these dozens of village, not villagers, but townsfolk had come up to the village for the day and the priest was there and it was a big party. And yeah, they had a, a band of traditional musicians of gaiteros and drummers. And um, it was just really fabulous. It was uh, one of the best experiences that I've ever had on, on a Camino before. Yeah, it was just a complete fluke. Not only that we were there that day, but that we happened to pass through that village at that moment. Because yeah. if we'd have been one hour earlier, we would have missed it uh, yeah. completely. So yeah, it was just as we were kind of sitting down and we brought some picnic stuff, we just sort of started seeing more and more people come up. And then, uh, and then the band started playing as we were there, as we were just finishing up eating. So yeah, we got very, very lucky to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that did mean that we, we missed the same event in the larger Church of Santa Marina, the more famous church that we passed the next day. But you can't be everywhere at once. So I was very happy to have had that experience in the village. I thought that was really special. Yeah, me too, definitely. And so, yeah, the next day we went to this uh, church of Santa Marina, who's a local saint who's very revered in this area. Uh, and so the church was closed, which is fairly common when mm. you're on Camino anyway. But then we actually talked to a very nice man there, and he told us about some other things that we could see in the area. And you'd also read a bit about certain things, but we were slightly confused because he had mentioned this other basilica mm -hmm. and referred to it specifically as a basilica. Um, and we couldn't find that in, in our maps or anything because it turns out it has another name, which is Fornus, which means the ovens, which is a bit of a strange name. Uh, and so we were a little bit confused by it all. But anyway, we eventually found this other place and it was amazing. So it, it's going to be a little bit difficult to describe, but basically it, it is a church 
which was built in the 13th century by the Knights Templar, and it's in the middle of a forest. But the church itself was never completed because as they were kind of in the process of building it, the Knights Templar were dissolved and then it never got finished. And so what you can go uh, and see today is you can see the walls, both the outer and the, and the inner walls, and there's no roof and there's also no floor. So you're just on the grass. And it's just, it's just very unusual, firstly. But you can see, for example, the stone is really well hewn. It's very, you know, it's, it's very well done, but it's just completely half finished. So it's not that it's a ruin whereby it used to be complete and now there's only certain parts left. You're seeing all that was ever built there. Mm-hmm. But the most amazing part about it is that you can go down underneath into the crypt. And this was something that this uh, guy who we had met outside the, the previous church had told us about. And he said, you can use the the lights on your phones to, to light your way down there. And we thought, oh, wow, that sounds spooky and, and interesting. But so you go down these steps from this half-built church in the middle of the forest and you go into this crypt and it was incredible down there. And we absolutely needed the phone, needed the lights from our phones because mm-hmm. it was basically pitch black and you, you couldn't see anything. And, and it was if you didn't have any kind of light at all, you couldn't really go down there. It would be quite dangerous. You could fall yeah. over for sure. Yeah. Um, and so you go down these steps and then you're, you're inside this crypt and there are two rooms to it. Uh, there are some tombstones that are scattered around with crosses on them. Um, and then as you enter the, the kind of main chamber, there are these carvings on either side and they're, they're quite worn down now. Um, but it was referenced in one of the plaques that they might have been two dragons on either side of the door as you go into the, the main chamber or the, the kind of altar. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell that at least one of them was some kind of four-legged creature. So yeah, I think dragon is not too big of a stretch. Um, And then in this um, smaller uh, altar or a smaller chamber at the end, that's where the site of where this Saint Santa Marina was said to have been martyred. Right. Uh, Which was during Roman times, uh, you know, in the early centuries of Christianity, before the Roman Empire had become Christian. Um, But just being down there, it was incredible. It was this, you know, we described it as this Indiana Jones type of archaeological site where you you can't see anything. Um, You need flashlights or torches or something to just even see. And you could just... You could just feel the the kind of hauntingness of it all and the, the atmosphere down there. And of course, we were the only people there. It was just really something special. And I just loved being down there. Yeah, I did too. And it, it was a pretty spooky kind of site. You know, I um, it has this history with the Knights Templars, uh, the ones who built it. Who, you know, there are lots of... Uh, stories about them, which some of which are probably sure fabricated and others maybe not. But um, yeah, it was definitely a place where you could let your imagination run wild as to what might have happened there in the past and why exactly it was built. And, um, you know, it didn't, it seemed to me something more than just a typical crypt that you find underneath a church. It was fascinating and uh, a little bit scary, but yeah, really, really glad that we had the experience and we were able to go down there and that we had lights. I mean, if we'd been doing this a decade ago, maybe we wouldn't have brought any kind of flashlight with us and we wouldn't have been able to do it. But um, it was really fascinating to explore. And just to explain a little bit about why it's called Fornos, that's related to the legend of the martyrdom of Santa Marina, who was apparently thrown into an oven, and that's how she was she was going to be killed, going to be martyred. But then there's the story of St. 
Peter coming and lifting her up out of a hole to uh, rescue her from the, f the furnace, from the oven. And then eventually she gets decapitated. And then uh, a, a well, like a natural spring, springs up naturally from the ground, from the place where her head hits. And so, you know, it's a very, very elaborate story. Uh, but that's why it was referred to both as an oven and a basilica, which we found pretty confusing, but it all kind of came together and made sense at the end. Yeah, it did. And um, yeah, we're super, super glad that we, we had a chance to go down there. And also not far from there, there's a, a pre-Roman Castro, you know, one of these um, pre-Roman settlements that you do find uh, in Galicia as well. So we could explore that a little bit. The, the funny thing was that the, the first church, the second church and the Castro were all very close to the Camino, but not actually on the Camino. And so, you know, it was just a, a couple hundred meters detour to the original church and then to the other two, it was even probably less than that. Um, so if you were just purely following arrows uh, without looking at other maps or without being aware of these sites, you could miss all of that. Yeah. Um, and so we were glad uh, that we looked into it a little bit before and we'd read some things on Gronse. And this is actually a good opportunity to give a big shout out to Gronse. Absolutely. Um, um, this is not a uh, sponsored <laughs> episode, although perhaps Gronse should consider sponsoring us. But uh, no, this is just uh, our honest personal opinion. You know, we have used them, particularly you have used them in the past for other Caminos, but this was the first time that we really used Gronse as our primary source of information for our Camino. And the first one, we really realized the extent of all the information that they offer. And it was really invaluable, both for yeah finding out what's on the Camino, what services are available, and also what's just off the Camino or, you know, what alternatives you might want to take when the Camino goes on the highway for six kilometers. And and turns out there's a beautiful wetland, like just parallel to that, that you could walk through instead. So uh, Gronte offers some great information on alternatives. And like you said, all of this stuff, if we hadn't had Gronte and had just been following the arrows, we wouldn't have seen any of that, mm -hmm. which is just incredible to think about. Yeah, and, and especially the alternatives to the alternative route that we're on that they offered was really important. And you can download their tracks and import them into your Maps app very easily. And then that shows these alternatives. And so they're very clear on some of them in the descriptions. They say, look, you know, you can walk this way on the highway if you want, but here's this other way, do this other way. And it was interesting that we met these two Spanish pilgrims and they had also read that about the six kilometers on the highway, uh, but they didn't have the map or the tracks exactly. And then they missed it the next morning. And they had the intention of going to the wetlands, which is what we did, but they didn't know exactly how to find it. And in the end, they just walked the highway. But, you know, Gronz is quite, or certainly on this community, they're quite outspoken about certain things like this. They'll say, mm -hmm. you know, why on earth does, do the arrows take you on this highway when you could go this other way? And they say, you know, we strongly recommend going this other way. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we've been following the advice that they've been giving, and it's, it's worked out great for us. Uh, of course, for those who aren't familiar with Gronte, it is a Spanish-only website. You can do uh, auto-translation using certain web browsers and whatnot. And some of the information is fine. You don't even need translation if you're just looking up distances and stages and things like that, mm -hmm. um, or just getting uh, tracks. For, yeah. for your app, but to go along with, with all of that, the descriptions are very helpful as well. 
Yes. But yeah, I would definitely recommend them for the tracks alone, you know, even if you don't speak any Spanish, you know, that's something that is uh, language agnostic, you know, the, the tracks are useful uh, no matter what language you speak. And I mean, we had already downloaded tracks from various sources that were not Gronte, but then you know, those can be just random people who who might not have taken an ideal route or might not have even taken the official route. We ended up using the Gronte tracks and those offered both the official route and the alternatives. And then you could very easily see the difference between those and decide which one you wanted to do, which one was longer, what kind of, you know, one went on the highway, one of them went on a dirt track. And so, yeah, super, super helpful. Right, so I mentioned earlier that there were three specific highlights, and so we've talked about two of them being the Monterey Castle and this uh, crypt underneath the Basilica for Santa Marina. And the third is the town of Ayariz, which is mm-hmm. where we stayed the night before we arrived yesterday in Orense. And Ayariz is a, a really lovely town. It's that perfect-sized town, especially for a Camino, where, you know, we talked last time about how on the Portuguese interior route, you were sort of either in a tiny village with no services or a city. And so, for example, when we went into and out of Chavez, and we really liked Chavez, um, but the in and out was quite long. Yes. Uh, on asphalt for quite some time, especially going out. We, we did six, seven kilometers uh, going out. And so, you know, all told, starting from the southern outskirts until you finish the northern outskirts and then including the city center, you know, that's a couple of hours or, or more. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ayaris is that perfect size where there's this kind of core and then when you're out of the historic core, that's it. There's nothing else left. So, you know, within mm-hmm. a short time, you're in forest or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we arrived quite quickly into the town coming out of a forest just after the, the celebration for Ascension Sunday. And mm-hmm. then the next morning we were in forest again, you know, fairly soon after we'd left the center of the town. But it's a great town. It has lots of bars and lots of restaurants and it has, it has lots of churches. It's on a river and there's a really nice river scene. Um, and we really enjoyed walking around there. That was a real highlight too. Yep. And people, people spoke Galego to me there, which I was very happy about. So if I had my immersion to do again, I would have stayed in Ayerith rather than Orense. I mean, it is kind of typical that Galego is more widely spoken in smaller towns and villages than it is in cities, Orense-sized cities. Um, but that was one additional thing that I also liked about Ayariz. <laughs> that might be just uh, limited to just you. Um, <laughs> we, did have a, we did have a nice experience here in Orense. We met actually the yep. uh, architect or, and or owner of the the building where we're staying and uh, he later after we met him we saw him again a second time and he brought us a bottle of wine uh, for the sole reason that you're the first foreigner he's ever met who learned Gallego. Yeah that was what he said when he gave it to us he said oh don't don't close your door I'm coming back I'm gonna give you some wine and then when he came back he said yeah you're the only foreigner I've ever met who's ever learned Gallego so learning Gallego does have its advantages. Indeed. And so those are just a few of the highlights that are on this alternative route of the Sanabres. In terms of the trail itself, it's been a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we did find there was one particular stretch where it was the trail was not that interesting. We walked through a lot of fields, and that was during the really hot days as well. And so there was some sort of shadeless uh, sections where it was quite hot, and this was mainly basically on our second day. So it was between a town called Villa del Rey and um, Cintorolimia, which I always forget how to say. And so that wasn't our favorite stage. 
But then later on, especially after uh, coming into Ayadith and especially after Ayadith, we were in forest, which was beautiful forest, mm. um, the most beautiful that we've seen on this Camino. And that was really, that made us feel like uh, it was Galicia. Yes. Um, because that's obviously, you know, an image that so many people who have walked Caminos have of Galicia. Uh, and there was some Roman road and it was also one of those forests where, um, Next to the path, there are these stones that are kind of piled up as a wall and they're covered with moss and that's mm -hmm. very atmospheric. And so the thing about yesterday's stage, which was the stage where we saw these two churches, including the underground crypt, was that the first half of that stage was amazing, not only for all those sites that we saw, but also because uh, in between those sites, we were in this forest. Uh, unfortunately, the second half of the stage was on asphalt for 11 kilometers. So that was, uh, was less interesting let's say yeah it was definitely a day of two halves um we had this most incredible morning where we saw all these sites and yeah did the, all these explorations and the underground crypt and everything and then we stopped for lunch and then i asked you how long we had left and you said 11 i was like oh really 11 um i kind of don't want to do anymore and then yeah, most of that was, um, you know, on busy roads and we had to go through a big industrial area and it got a little bit better after that. It was more suburbs and we even got on a few, you know, grass uh, trails and, and gravel trails. So it wasn't all highway for 11 kilometers, but but yeah, it was still one of the more unpleasant stretches. But you know, that didn't represent the, the whole of the alternative, of the alternative uh, route. Um, and so, as we said, yeah, there's some parts in forest, there's parts in fields, um, and the part coming out of the castle, you know, on the first day from Verim was also quite nice. So there was a little bit of everything. And so, you know, for people who are doing the Via della Plaza or doing the, the Santa Bresa as a standalone, this could definitely be, be something to consider. As we said, we haven't done the, the actual normal route, so we don't know exactly how to compare it. Mm -hmm. But between the sites that we've talked about and between the forest and just the idea of maybe getting more off the beaten track, if that's what you're interested in, then uh, this could be a good option for people. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Not knowing, you know, what the alternative is or what the mainstream option is, I thoroughly enjoyed this alternative. All right. And so, as we mentioned, we had some really great weather. Unfortunately, that has turned and we're now having this rainy day in Orense. Mm -hmm. And as we look at the forecast for the next few days, as we now embark on the last 100 kilometers to Santiago, looks like there's a fair bit more rain in the forecast, but yep. it is Galicia after all. And so we've come to expect it. Yes, we have come to expect it, and we've had a good run up to now. I think we've been very lucky with the weather, so I guess it's about time. We did break out our new ponchos today when we went grocery shopping, actually. Coming out of the grocery store, it was it was pouring down pretty hard, and so these brand new ponchos that we bought actually for the Hota Vicentina and then never used on that whole route and then never used on the whole CPI, we have now broken them in, and they seem to work, so that is good. That is definitely good. But yeah, so we've done 24 walking days without putting them on, um, including the Hotta Vincentina, the CPI, and now the Santa Bres. So yeah, maybe it's time for a couple of poncho days. But mm -hmm. um, we will tell you all about that next time. And until then, buen camino. And bo camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.